Hello, and welcome back to Medic Minutes, the British Columbia Emergency Health Services podcast for paramedics. My name is Oli Olson. I'm a critical care paramedic and paramedic practice leader, also your host today. And joining me is Alex Olmos and Nina Preto from PHSA Ethics Services. Hi, thank you for having us. Hi, everybody. Yeah, this is uh, really exciting to be part of this conversation, so thank you. Well, we've got a couple of experts here, gang. So today we're going to be discussing ethics. More specifically, we're going to be going over... Well, what is an ethical issue? Um, What are the principles that make up ethics? How does this apply to paramedics? That might be important. And we're going to go over a framework or tool that we can use to address some of these issues. So, Alex, Nina, can you just quickly um, share with uh, the listeners uh, some of your background? Okay. uh, Well, I'll go first. So my name is Alexandra Olmos. I have a background in law. I have a law degree. And I have a master's and a PhD in bioethics. Um, I am also a lawyer by training, like Alex, uh, and I worked in uh, medical malpractice defense law before um, transitioning to do some graduate work in bioethics, and I also have a master's and a PhD in research ethics and law. Very impressive company I'm, I'm with here in the room, so listen up, team. We've got a couple of real experts here, okay? Nina, Alex, uh, maybe share with our listeners what exactly is PHSA Ethics Services? Sure, yeah. The PHSA Ethics Service um, is really responsible for providing support to all the programs and services across uh, the Provincial Health Services Authority, um, both in relation to clinical ethics, sort of frontline patient-involved questions that come up, as well as with sort of broader organizational ethics questions that come up, sort of policy development and um, decisions about what the organization should do. So there's those are sort of the two key um, areas that we that we provide support. Well, that is very interesting, and we are very fortunate to have both of you here today. So, when we use the word ethics, what do we mean? Well, ethics is a philosophical discipline. It reflects on questions such as what is valuable, what is good, what is bad, is this right, wrong, why do we think this is right or wrong? And when we say we want to act ethically, we mean that we want to act according to our values, to what we think it's important. Our values shape how we think about our choices, actions, and behaviors, and they may shift with time. They may be interpreted in a different way, depending on the social, economic, political, cultural context we find ourselves in. When the situation is such that we have to choose between two different values, we are encountering what we, what we say is an ethical dilemma or an ethical issue. So maybe you can tell me, where do laws, policies, procedures, where do they all fit into making an ethical decision? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think... Maybe a good way of visualizing it is the the laws and policies and procedures provide a box and provide a, uh, a framework within which we all function. The um, ethics comes into sort of in a, in, from a practical perspective in those spaces where you can have the best you know policy um, uh, out there. It's not going to answer all the questions in any given situation. And so there are gray areas that come up. Um, and that's really where ethics comes in to provide 
some guidance, uh, some things to think about when you're when you're making your way through those complex gray areas that aren't specifically answered by a given policy or law or procedure. It's also important to add that there's ethical reasons to follow policy, right, and follow the law. And there's like this moral, we're morally constrained to to do what the law says. Of course, the, the first reaction from everybody is like, I have to do what the policy says or what the law says. And that's also like a moral duty. But there's also like, well, sometimes the law can be wrong. The policies can be wrong. And this is more a kind of an organizational ethics kind of analysis that we also provide some help with sometimes. And I think that's a really great point. And it also lets gets to that idea that laws and policies evolve over time as our values change and over time. So at one point, a, uh, a, a law might have been absolutely applicable and in line with our values, whereas our thinking about something changes, um, the law has to change to reflect that. And so really, I think the takeaway is that while there is absolutely, uh, it is absolutely important to follow the law and to follow policy, what is legal is not necessarily always ethical, but that is a broader kind of question. It's not necessarily something that you tackle at the front lines. So just to, I guess, to be really clear, when you are encountering an ethical issue, um, you always have to be aware of and function within the um, the ethical, uh, sorry, the the legal and policy parameters. Maybe you could give us an example of an ethical issue that a paramedic might face. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, imagine you get a nine one one call, and upon your arrival at the scene, uh, the person, let's call him Bob, is clearly injured, but he refuses to be transported to hospital. You're not sure, actually, if Bob understands the consequences of not receiving care, and there's a family member, perhaps his spouse, maybe Lionel, insisting that you take Bob to the hospital. What should you, how should you proceed? Should you take Bob to the hospital against his will? On the one hand, you might be concerned for Bob's well-being, but on the other hand, overriding his decision may not be ethically and or legally justified. These are really profound and difficult questions. Thanks, Nina. And, um, you know, fortunately, we've got some policy and procedures to help us with this, which I'll talk a, lo a little bit more about later. But so in the paramedic context, Al Nina, uh, what frameworks do we have to work through these situations? Well, there are a couple of, of ethical frameworks for EHS. One is sort of a more in-depth, detailed framework that we can use when we're looking at something that happened in retrospect and we're um, trying to learn from that and debrief around that and help us to think about how we might do things differently next time. So that's one kind of framework. But it's important to recognize that in that emergency care environment, of course, the practitioner often doesn't have time to go through those multiple steps and that detailed process. So and this is when most providers would go to the J tool. And J is basically an acronym that stands for justifiable, accountable, and you. It's a mental checklist so that when you encounter an ethical issue and you don't know what to do, you can ask yourself the following questions before making a decision. So on the justifiability, piece, would I be able to justify my decision? Um, on the accountability piece, would my peers and coworkers perform this action? Do I think other team members would do the same in my situation? And then for the you question, would I want this if I was the patient? So if we go back to Bob, um, you know, would, would Bob want to be taken, if, if I were Bob, would I want to be taken to the hospital against my will? 
how do you, ethically, how do we solve these issues, Nina? I mean, how do I respect someone's autonomy if they're asking for something we don't provide? Or how can I treat people fairly when we don't have the same resources in every part of the province? So we often rely on principles derived from ethical theories to help us resolve these kinds of questions. These principles serve as a departure point when we're thinking about what the right thing to do is. In the biomedical ethics field, so the field that we're talking about here in relation to, to clinical care, there are many relevant principles, but there are four key principles that constitute the most widespread amongst the contemporary Western tradition. The first of these is respect for autonomy. This principle requires us to acknowledge that all people have value and are independent individuals, and therefore that they are to be respected as ends in themselves and never regarded as a means to somebody else's end. But also we need to recognize that in order to allow a person to act autonomously, there are certain conditions that need to be met. For example, we can't make an autonomous decision if we don't have enough information to do so. Or if somebody is forcing us or putting pressure on us or deceiving us, um, the decision that we would make in that context wouldn't be a free and informed choice, so we would not be acting autonomously. Therefore, when we talk about autonomy and we talk about respect for autonomy, we need to think also about how to enable and support people to make free choices. Thanks. So autonomy is important. Now, Alex, does this have anything to do with informed consent? Yes, well, absolutely. In the uh, healthcare context, respect for autonomy requires ensuring patients have the uh, information necessary to make an informed choice according to their views and values without interference or undue influence. This is embodied in the process of obtaining free and informed consent and draws our, attentions to, our attention to factors such as ensuring the patient has the necessary information to make an informed decision and to address, of course, misinformation, and to be sensitive to external pressures like family dynamics or other things that may come into play that may be unduly influencing what the, the patient otherwise would choose. This does not mean that the person is not gonna be, is gonna be removed from a context. The person is always, we, we, we develop our autonomy and our values and, and everything is within our context and the relationships we have with others, this is why we, sometimes in ethics referred to as re relational autonomy and recognizing that we are not isolated individuals and that we are always immersed in context. But we have to learn where, where the, the actual undue influence may be. But in order to consent or refuse care, a person must also have capacity. In the scenario we just talked about, there well, there could be questions around the capacity of the person that might also make us feel like the patient might not really be making an autonomous choice. Adults are generally presumed to have decision-making capacity. In healthcare, this can be understood as the ability to understand appropriately provided information regarding the condition for which the healthcare is proposed, the nature of the proposed healthcare, the risks and benefits of the proposed healthcare that a reasonable person would expect to be told about, alternative courses of healthcare and that the information provides provided relates to the uh, to the situation. Okay, thanks. You know, I I think I'm starting to get this. So this is what it means for a BCEHS paramedic. Policy states that we have to take all patients to the hospital. However, patients do have the right to refuse because they're autonomous. Now, if we do, we've got 
policy and a framework to support this decision. And for us paramedics means we call Clinical. A capacity assessment is made by the paramedic specialists or EPOS using a tool. Thus, all of our expert resources are used to support both the paramedic and the patient in this situation. So, okay, uh, what are the other principles? So yeah, we've talked about respect for autonomy and there are three other principles, um, non-maleficence, beneficence, and justice. So the principle of non-maleficence can be summarized as not performing a harmful action or inflicting harm and also taking steps to prevent harm, avoiding risks of harm. Here it's important to remember that actions and omissions can both be harmful. By performing CPR on an elderly frail person, for example, we are actively causing harm and perhaps there is no benefit. We need to think about that. But also doing, but also not doing something can cause harm, like, pro, like not providing naloxone to an unconscious person, perhaps because we assume they aren't the type of person who would take drugs. Interesting. Okay. So, um, Alex, what happens when not doing something could be harmful, but the person is not consenting or actually refusing a certain treatment, like in the previous case, not taking Bob to the hospital, perhaps could cause harm? Well, that's a great question. It is important to know that we cannot act against a competent person's wishes. However, if a person lacks capacity, overriding that person's wishes can in itself be harmful. Forcefully taking Bob to the hospital against his wishes could be traumatic for him and he could get hurt. This could also break his trust in healthcare and lead him, like, lead him to him delaying seeking medical attention in the future, not adhering to future treatments, etc. And also we need to remember the other principles like respect for persons. These principles have to coexist, so to speak. So we have to learn to balance them. Sometimes certain harms or risks of harm are justified where anticipated benefits outweigh the harms or risk of harm. So the principles are not absolute mandates. We need to balance them. And this brings us to the third principle, the principle of beneficence, which is intertwined with non-maleficence, as it means that we should always act for the benefit of the patient. Sometimes, however, we can also inflict harm when we attempt to act in a beneficent way. For example, performing a very invasive procedure on a person against that person's will, or when there are very few chances of restoring that person's health or even doing something that we think is best for a patient, but from the patient's point of view is simply not, like take the case of Jehovah's Witnesses that because of their fate, they refuse blood transfusions. This is why doing what we think is best requires that we know what is good. And therefore, we are again talking about values, which begs the question about whose values are we talking about? The patients, the spouse, the spouses, the first responders, like this is a, this is a difficult question. So it is not always justified to act with the purpose of benefiting others. If, for example, our view of what constitutes a benefit is different from the patient's, there can be a difference in values, remember respect for autonomy. Also, sometimes the risks of harm outweighs the probable benefits. Thanks, Alex. So, Nina, I mean, isn't it important to always consider the same things and, and treat everyone the same, though? Ah, uh, yes, and that brings us to the fourth principle, namely justice. The principle of justice has to do with the social impact of health uh, and how healthcare decisions have to take 
account this impact. Justice has different implications when you see it from a public health or policy perspective. But in general, it states that we should be fair and treat similar cases equally, use fair procedures, and aim to produce just outcomes. So, of course, we can't treat everybody the exact same way all the time, and equally is different from equitably. For example, imagine you have three children who are behind a fence and they're trying to watch a soccer game. You might think, let's just give each one of them a box to stand on and then they can all watch the game. This would be treating them equally. But what if one of them is so tall he doesn't need a box to stand on, he can just watch the game fine? And perhaps one of them is so short he might need two boxes to stand on just to be able to see anything. It wouldn't seem fair to just give each of them a box. So treating the children equitably would mean that the tall boy gets no box, the average boy gets one, and perhaps the very short boy gets two boxes. That way they can all enjoy the game. In real life, you don't have an unlimited amount of boxes. So you have to make decisions. And sometimes it's going to mean giving people what they need as opposed to treating everybody in the same way. In a healthcare context, justice means that those who are in the same circumstance should be treated alike. Also, when possible, we should generate the conditions for equitable access for those who are in positions of disadvantage. So as you can see, these principles help us to act according to our values because they orient us, they act as a compass, although they don't tell us exactly what to do in each situation. We interpret and balance them according to the specific context and factors of the situation in question. Thanks, Nina. So what's equal is not always equitable. Where do you start in these complex scenarios when there are so many arrows pointing in different directions? I mean, how do I make an ethical decision when these principles are competing? When we encounter an ethical issue, it is these are challenging, hard, tricky issues to work through. And um, there really is no right or, you know, categorically wrong answer. There are shades of gray, and that's what makes it hard. And so these tools that we're talking about and these, the discussion of these principles are, are things that we can draw on um, to help us make these really tricky and complex decisions. Nina, Alex, thank you so much, both of you, for coming and helping unpack this very complex and challenging topic as paramedics we're faced with ethical issues on a daily basis and um, any tool or resource we can have that will help us through these dis difficult situations is going gonna, is gonna to help all of us. It's also going to help our patients as well. So for the team out there, if you want to learn more about BC EHS ethics framework or any ethics related questions, uh, you can contact the paramedic practice leaders through clinical practice at bcehs.ca or even better, the PHSA ethics service and we'll provide you with the contact information shortly after this. Thanks, Oli. That was great. Uh, really great to be part of the discussion. Thank you. Thank you for having us. This was really, really great. As always, um, thank you for tuning in to Medic Minutes. Uh, we really appreciate your feedback. And if you'd like to provide that, you can just send it directly to podcast at bcehs.ca. And again, my name is Oli Olson, and that concludes another episode of Medic Minutes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>